Good morning. <laughs> I heard it said that there's nothing, uh, there's nothing better than getting up and speaking after nearly screaming for an hour. <clears throat> yeah. So give me, give me grace this morning. Oh, can we? Um, I'm really big on this. You guys know this already, but um, just I, I don't. I love our. Uh, our awareness in this house to want to, before we do anything, we look to him and we focus on him. Before we take a step and go in the direction that we're going, we need to take that step with him on our mind. Uh, So let's just do that real quick. I know we just prayed, but just close your eyes and just center your attention, your focus on the Lord. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, because I promise you, anytime you fix your gaze on him, he's not looking away. He's always looking at you. So when you look at him, there's something that happens. It's called you lock eyes with him. So Lord, we love you. We fix our gaze and our affection on you. We don't want to be the most spiritually mature person. That's not our motive. Our motive is we want to become what you paid for. Thank you, Jesus. And everyone said amen. 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 Okay. Um, Man, I'm really excited. Also, slightly, like, overwhelmed at just everything. Uh, Quick little plug. Um, We had the pleasure this last Thursday night to go and to see... How many of you guys have heard of that new movie, The Jesus Revolution? Come on. Uh, I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I I actually used to kind of be like a Christian movie hater. um, Because I, and here's why. I'll just clarify that. Because I wasn't seeing Christian movies that were displaying Christians walking in power. They were always like struggling in life, and then they would serve, and then they would get their life on track and start serving God, and then everything would start working out, and then the moment something bad happened, they'd start questioning God again. And it's like they're, they're not every, don't get me wrong, not every Christian movie is like that. But I've seen a vast majority of them that I'm like, I just want to watch a Christian movie where we're not going to a hospital, we're not in an old, outdated church, and people aren't trying to cram the gospel down your throat. I want to watch a Christian movie where people are just living in power and in love with Jesus. So that's why I enjoyed the movie is because the people in this movie, it's a true story uh, about the Jesus, uh, the, the Jesus people in the 1970s uh, that were just com- like a wave of the spirit came and people walked in power. And they saw amazing things. And I also was just getting overwhelmed watching it, just thinking about what's happening in our nation right now. Like, you can't make this stuff up, that you've got a movie coming out about the last, basically the last revival that happened in our nation, and we're in the midst of one right now. I just think it's so timely and so beautiful. So that was messing me up. But if you guys get the chance, go see it. Go to your local theater and box office and everything. and just go support it. I think it's amazing. Okay, who's got their Bibles this morning? Hold them up. Let me see it. You got your Bible? Come on. All righty. Um, you, guys, you guys know why we do that. It's because, and I've said this the last couple of times that I've been uh, blessed to be able to speak, was don't take my word for it. Run it through the scriptures. 
Take his word for it, not mine. I'm, I'm just sharing with you guys what he's been downloading to me, and I'm bringing that to you guys, not so that you could say, Zach said so, but so that you could say, John 6 says so, or so you could say, Colossians 2 says so. And so it's all about us, once again, becoming what we read, but we have to know the scriptures and not be a body of believers that our relationship with the Lord is dependent upon live streaming a service once a week or listening to my favorite preacher. And if anybody else is preaching, I can't listen to them because I have my favorite preacher that I listen to. God can speak through any person. And many a times, he will offend you in doing so because he will speak to you through people that you feel like are the least qualified to speak into your life. But when you submit yourself to Jesus and fall in love with him and you get to know him through the secret place and God brings a word through someone that you think would be the last person in the world to speak to you, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit when they speak. And you're like, whoa. It's a humbling experience. (laughs) It's a humbling experience. But anyways, that's not even a part of what I was going to say. But that's free. If you have your Bibles, which those of you that do, Uh, For those of you that don't, you have grace. We have monitors and everything. Uh, And so let's turn over to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And we're just going to dig. We're going to dig deep. We're going to go deep, John. Yeah, bro. Um, John chapter 19 is about Jesus' death. And so I want, before we go anywhere this morning, to just remind ourselves the price that was paid. Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, and he did things that no man had ever seen, which is why more people followed him than pretty much any, any other historical figure that just like popped up out of nowhere. He wasn't from, he wasn't known as having a, a royal lineage in terms of like earthly kingdoms. He was just a man who came out of nowhere, and people see this man and they just immediately have the desire to drop everything and follow him. And so Jesus came, represented the kingdom of heaven on this earth. He manifested heaven everywhere he went. Scripture says that Jesus spoke and he said, the son of man can do nothing of himself. He only does that which his father says and that that his father does. So Jesus is limiting himself. He's already limited himself in a vast way by coming in human flesh. He didn't have to do that, but he did because there needed to be a sacrifice, a pouring out of blood that was for the atonement of our sins. We messed up. Animal blood wasn't going to cut it. It was just sweeping it under the rug. Man was still living under condemnation and guilt and this never-ending desire to be good enough but can never attain it. Jesus steps onto the scene as the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice, spotless, perfect. So when he comes, he represents the kingdom, and it ruffled the feathers of the religious leaders. The ones that should have been the first to accept him were the first to reject him. And those that you would have thought would have been the first to reject him were the first to accept him. And so you've got this this parallel of he's already got thieves, robbers, I mean, adulterers, sinners, 
fornicators, they're all following Jesus, <laughs> you know? And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they have the, 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 the well-educated, the well-dressed, those that sat in their classes, those that went to their schools. They had them following them. And they, caught, they, they, they walked under what was known in the day and time as the law of Moses. See, the law was represented to show man his need for a savior. So it wasn't given to man. God was giving it to man and God wasn't saying, all right, now I need you to do all these things. God was showing it to say, you can't do all these things. You are messed up. Because the first step towards walking in freedom is the admitting that you need help. And Jesus had, I mean, how many times when we read through the Gospels do you see people running up to Jesus that would never have run up to him in the first place? We got a Roman centurion running up to Jesus. He's got no reason for this centurion to be coming up to him. If anything, the centurions are expecting Jesus to come to them. But no, this man comes and he runs to Jesus and he says that my servant is sick. So there's already a lot of things. Jesus is walking in this heavenly realm, this heavenly kingdom, this heavenly reality, and it's drawing people from everywhere unto him. And it's because of the hope that he carries. And so Jesus ultimately is betrayed by one of his own that he traveled with for three years that was his treasurer that took care of the money. That's right. Jesus didn't, he wasn't a hobo. He actually had finances. Scripture tells us that, that there were people that financially gave to the ministry of Jesus. So just know, when you're given to vision, you're giving to the ministry of Jesus, okay? This is a biblical principle. And so he's betrayed by one of his own, the ve- one of his own disciples that he washed the feet of. And now he's led away to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They condemn him to death wrongfully. Barabbas is brought up before them. Pilate brings up Barabbas, and he says, which one of these men will I set free? People scream out, we want Barabbas. Pilate says, you want a murderer and a thief over your king? And they said, we want Barabbas. So they gave, they gave, away, they gave Barabbas, and Jesus is now sent off to die on a cross. So just setting up the stage in John chapter 19, verse 28 through 37, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, and I want us to just look at this and just allow these words just to penetrate and pierce your heart. It says in verse 28, Jesus knew that his mission was accomplished, and to fulfill the scripture, Jesus said, I am thirsty. So Jesus is on the cross at this point. He wasn't just on the cross for a few minutes He wasn't on the cross for an hour. He was on the cross for, I I think if I believe correctly, it was six hours or so that he was on the cross. Don't quote me on that. Go and look it up. But I'm pretty sure if I remember, because I did a study on this a couple months ago. So he's on the cross and he said, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting nearby. So they soaked a sponge with it and put it on the stalk of hyssop and raised it to his lips. When he had sipped the sour wine, he said, it is finished, my bride. Then he bowed his head and surrendered his spirit to God. The Jewish leaders did not want the bodies of the victims to remain on the cross through the next day, since it was the day of preparation for a very important Sabbath. It was the Passover was coming. 
Jesus was crucified with two crooks, one on his left, one on his right. So they asked Pilate's permission to have the victim's legs broken to hasten their death and their bodies taken down before sunset. Verse 32, so the soldiers broke the legs of the two men who were nailed there, but when they came to Jesus, they realized that he had already died, so they decided not to break his legs. But one of the soldiers took a spear and pierced Jesus' side, and blood and water gushed out. I, John, do testify to the certainty of what took place. So this is John just telling us he was there. He saw this. I, John, do testify to the certainty of what took place, and I write the truth so that you might also believe. For all these things happen to fulfill the prophecies of the scriptures. Not one of his bones will be broken, and they will gaze on the one they have pierced. Oh, wow. Just a cool little fact real quick. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is on a cross. Once again, the whole purpose of the cross wasn't to kill the man. The purpose of the cross was to torture him to death. It was death by suffocation. It wasn't death by bleeding out. It wasn't death by the nails. It was to make him as uncomfortable as possible for as long as possible and to make him suffer. It was even thought in the Roman, to the Romans, Roman citizens were exempt from crucifixion because it was thought to be too damning and too shaming. And so Jesus, when you think of the humility of Jesus, we talk about he went low, but we're talking like he went low, low. Like his death was the worst of the worst. And so they didn't break his legs. This is a, this is a, a, a fulfillment of what we see in the Old Testament with Egypt and Moses, all right? Let me just take you back for a second. So God tells Moses, before the angel of death, the final plague hits Egypt, right? The firstborn of, of all the Egyptians were going to be slaughtered. And God told Moses, take a spotless lamb and take the blood and put it over the doorposts. So they put the blood over the doorpost, but one of the things that God specifically told Moses, he said, you're to take the blood of the lamb, you're to wipe it over the doorposts, you are to eat the lamb, you cook it, and then you're going to eat it. But he said, in the process, you are not to break a single bone in its body. The lamb of the sacrifice, the Passover lamb, and Jesus, thousands of years later, who was on the cross, and scripture tells us that not a bone of his body was broken. He is the Passover lamb. He is the sacrificial lamb. So why do we read this in John chapter 19? I want us to think about this thought this morning, and it's this. It is finished. It is finished. I got to tell you guys, there's a lot of people, and even in my own life, I've had this opportunity where we walk around as Christians as if it is not finished. We walk around daily as if the blood did not finish it, as if we're still waiting for a perfect sacrifice to atone for what we've done. But that sacrifice was already paid, okay? Let me also throw this at you. We were never meant to graduate from the Jesus experience when we got saved. Okay? What do I mean by that? You never move on from Jesus. If you're a Christian, you never move on from Jesus. 
You never graduate, per se. It's not, oh, I did the Jesus thing. I know Jesus, so now it's on the greener pastures. No. It's, I'm in love with Jesus. 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 You never move on from it. If you have moved on from Jesus, then that shows your spiritual immaturity. And I'm not saying that to knock anybody. I'm saying that because I'm believing that as I speak, Holy Spirit would convict us and wake us up of some things this morning. That it would only be about him. That scripture, all of scripture points to him. Jesus told the Pharisees that. He said, everything you read points to me. And if I sound like a broken record this morning, I'm not apologizing for it. This is something that we have to get in us. Because we have to become this. When we read it, we have to become what we read. If we just read it for the sake of reading it, no change is happening here. All I know how to do is to tell you about him, the days and times that he was living in, what happened in that time, but there's no application of it. But if instead I read it and I say, Holy Spirit, I want to become this. I want to see the blood-stained cross. I want to see the sacrifice that was paid for me. Help me to humble myself and not be so callous to the thought that someone has come and given his life freely for me. We get so used to that. It's like we, it's like we, we, we shrug it off as, a, as if it's common knowledge. When was the last time somebody gave their life for you? And I guarantee you, those that you have talked to in your life that someone did give their life for them, it has stuck with them to this day. Because they remember, and in, even in some of their minds, because I, I, I've, I've talked to a couple years ago, I talked to a guy who was in the military, lost people, and to this day, he's thinking, why am I still here? Why am I, like, he hasn't moved past it, because he remembers that a sacrifice was paid, that something was given freely, when it could have been him giving his life. But instead, he's here. And now, man, Jesus is going to hit him. Jesus is going to hit him. But for us, Jesus isn't a stepping stone. Think about that. Jesus is not a stepping stone. What are stepping stones? You step on it, and you take your foot off, and you're going to where you think you should be headed. Jesus isn't a stepping stone. He's the cornerstone. Jesus isn't a way to get to where you're going. Jesus is the journey and the destination. Jesus is where you're headed. And guess what? He's walking with you to help you get to him. Yeah, try and figure that one out. Like, I see you, but I see you, but I see you. <laughs> but I see you. He's everywhere. All right, and so it's just important for us to recognize that, that there's, there's no graduating from this. We don't graduate from him. We don't move on from him. It's only him. Okay, and so for us to recognize that it is finished, we have to know that we have been joined with him in his death. Because when you're walking in the reality that it is finished, it is fully paid for, we have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have been joined with him in his death and raised with him in his resurrection. That's what the cross did. The cross it, it, it joined us in marriage to him. 
It was the ceremony, the pulling back of the veil, if anything. The veil was torn in two, and now we are unveiled. We come before him with unveiled face, standing before our bridegroom. So it initiated the marriage between Jesus and his people. There's a reason why we're called the bridegroom, and he is the groom, or he's the bridegroom. We are the bride. And so we come before him. But if we come before him thinking that what he did wasn't enough, you don't come before him. You walk away from him. Because shame and condemnation pushes you away. And many a times in the body of Christ, shame and condemnation masquerades as humility. You walk around thinking that you're being humble, talking about how uh, undeserving you are or talking about how much uh, you've been through. And I'm not here to demean anyone's stories, but sometimes we can use our stories as a crutch to keep us in this old lifestyle instead of walking the reality of what he paid for. Like, your past is a testimony. It's not supposed to be a crutch. It's a testimony. It's look at what God has done. Now, Lord, do it again. Do it again. What you did in me, do it in John. What you did in Jacob, do it in me. What, in you, what you did in us, God, may it manifest itself once again. The gospel came alive, and we came to a realization, I can't go another second without you, without you. I was made for you, but I wasn't just made for you. I was made to be like you. And I think there's a vast majority of people that struggle to actually recognize that you were created to live like Jesus. I don't know why it's so divisive amongst the church. It's not taking away from his divinity. It's not taking away from who he is. But it's recognizing why did he come the way he came? Why did he walk the way that he walked? If not to get who he is inside of you. It's finished. So that means there's no more separation. No more separation. Between a husband and wife, if you go to a wedding ceremony, they say that now two has become one. Two has become one. And so when we have been joined in life union with Jesus, two have become one. We have been joined with Jesus. Joined with him. And that means that just as a husband and a wife, when they go through a struggle, they go through it together. When you go through a struggle, you go through it together because we are joined in union with Jesus. This is believing the finished work of the cross. Believing the finished work was to get Jesus on the inside of you so that he could live his life through us. But we can't be resurrected with him if we aren't first dead with him. That's the part that people hate. Because being dead with him means things are going to get cut off. You're going to lose some stuff. And at the time, you feel like it's a sacrifice. And then you realize, looking back later on, that it wasn't even a sacrifice in the first place because you weren't even made for that. But in the moment, you're so married to it, you're like, no, I get desire from this. I get fulfillment from this. I was made for this clearly because it feels good. But then later on, you look at it and you're like, wow, I was so blind. I was so blind. That's what I loved. When we were at the Hawkins unit, you saw these guys who had tasted of the world. They had tried it. And it got them in a tough situation. 
And now you're looking at these guys to where Jesus is their everything. And they're like, oh, the world's going to be, the, the world is not going to be the same when I get out of here. Because they are so full of heaven. Because all they have in there is this. All they have in there is this. So in many ways, I walk in there and I'm like, teach me. <laughs> I'm like, tell me what you're learning, bro. Because like, for me, sometimes I'm not able to plant myself in the word for eight hours a day, but you guys are. So like, tell me what you're learning. You know, it's crazy. But you can't be resurrected if you aren't dead. So we have to be joined with him in his death to be resurrected. You can't run after the resurrection of Jesus if you aren't dead. Resurrection only happens to dead people. You don't see a lot of people that are alive coming out and be like, I've been resurrected. It's like, nah, like you got to die first and then you're resurrected. And it's being joined with him. And what do I mean by being joined with him? It's when you come before him and you say, Father, and I truly mean it. I come before you and I lay down all that I am, all that I have, and I take up who you are. It doesn't make sense to me. 100%. But you haven't called me to fully understand you before I walk in you. You've called me to just say, here I am, use me. A beautiful example is in 1 Samuel. Samuel, for years, was spent in, this, in, in the temple, and he was ministering to the Lord. It literally says that in scripture. It like tells this story of um, you know, stuff that's going on in Israel. And then like, I think there's four times that it literally, like, the chapter takes a break and just comes back and says, oh, and by the way, Samuel was, during this time, Samuel was growing in favor with God and man and ministered to the Lord. And then it's like, and then Israel, la, 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 la. oh, and by the way, and then Samuel continued to grow and minister to the Lord. And then the day came, we all know the story, I hope we do, <laughs> where he hears his voice, Samuel gets up, goes to Eli, you called? He's like, I didn't call you. Go to bed. Goes to bed. Samuel comes to Eli. I'm here. I didn't call you, bro. Goes back to bed. Third time, Eli finally gets it. He's like, oh, <laughs> the high priest gets it on the third try. And he's like, okay, next time you hear your name, say, here, say, here I am for your servant hears. And so Samuel goes back, and the voice speaks and says, Samuel, he's so gracious, even when we don't get it on the first try, or the second try, or the third try, he'll keep coming back. And he said, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, Lord. That's what it was. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And God, through a dream, unveiled to him the future of what was about to happen to Israel. The simplicity of Samuel simply saying, speak, Lord, your servant hears. I think that's a big key for us if we just come before the Lord. In the morning, before you do anything, I don't care if, if you haven't already started carving out time to be with the Lord, like, I would highly encourage you to prioritize him daily, daily. Jesus said, I am daily bread. And so when we come before him, and even if you haven't already established that as a lifestyle, start with like 20 minutes. Set aside 20 minutes. Come before the Lord. And for 19 of those minutes, just focus on thankfulness and praising him. And then in that last minute, just say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Give him the opportunity to speak to you.
Give him the opportunity. And so I'm kind of bouncing around. But it focuses on Jesus came to establish his kingdom, right? The kingdom of heaven. And so how can you establish a kingdom like that and not be shaken by the kingdom that you're currently in? Like, I don't for one moment in time see Jesus coming in and being like, I'm here to, I'm here to establish my kingdom, guys. I'm here to establish my kingdom, y'all. And then he sees, like, how powerful the Romans are. And he's like, man, y'all, like, stop messing. Like, I'm here to establish my kingdom. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't timid with it. He goes into a temple, sees money changers in the temple, basically prostituting the house of the Lord, overcharging as well. So don't overcharge people. Um, and he flips tables and he says, my father's house will be a house of prayer. The kingdom. He saw his father's kingdom. And so when he sees his father's house being treated unfairly or being prostituted for the sake of people making a living, Jesus says, get that out of here. That is not my father's house. And so when we wake up every day, we have two choices. Which reality are you going to live from? Are you going to live from this world's reality or heaven's reality? If you want to live from earth's reality, then guess what? Your day is only going to be as good as the people around you. And then you're going to be dependent upon them. If they're having a bad day, oh, now I'm shooken up. I don't want to get around them because they're having a bad day. But if you live from the reality of the kingdom, you see people having a bad day and it's like, oh, they just don't know who they are, man. Because if you know who you are and you know whose you are, then you would have no reason to act that way whatsoever. I love what Dan Muller talks about. He's like, when I received Jesus, I gave up all of my rights. All of my rights went out the window, gone. I don't have a right to feel the way that I want to feel. I don't have a right to not want to do what the Lord's telling me to do because I'm joined in union with him. And the Lord said, those that love me are those that obey me. And then he went on to say a little bit later, it kind of confused me, but he said, those that love me are those that obey me. And then he said, you cannot obey me unless you love me. So it's like, wait, hold on. Like, I have to love you to obey you, but I can't obey you unless I love you. You know, it's like, what? And then you realize he's all in all. He's everything. He's saying, you need me to love me, and you need me to obey me. So if that confused you, cool. Um, <laughs> and so I love what scripture tells us, though, in Romans chapter 6. It says, view yourselves as dead to sin. View yourselves. You hear that terminology? In other translations, it says, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to Jesus. What does that mean? He's telling you, see yourself dead to sin. Reckon yourself alive to Jesus. He's saying, literally, think yourself dead to sin. You are dead to sin. Well, I don't feel like I'm dead to sin. No, no, no. You're dead to sin. Well, I, how can I be alive to Christ? You're alive to Christ. You're as alive unto Christ as you think yourself to be. Because once again, it's finished. Jesus paid the price. 
And so in many, in, in many terms, I'll, I'll put it like this, all right? You've got, you've got like a weight scale, okay? You give your life to Jesus. Right now, flesh is pretty heavy and spirit's really light. And so where you're finding yourself at is this place of, well, man, like you're fulfilling the desires of the flesh is not difficult because it's been your norm. It's been what you've gone after for a while. You're very, you've been used to suppressing the things of the spirit. But now Jesus comes onto the scene and as you spend time with him, as you grow in intimacy with him, then the scales begin to tip the other way. And so what we're seeing take place is whenever he says, reckon yourselves dead to sin, view yourselves as dead to sin and alive unto Jesus, what you're doing is you're actually catching your physical body up to the spiritual reality that's already taken place. Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, I'm actually going to turn to it. Oh, it's right here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. He tells us, well, I'll read one through three, one through four, one through five. No, one through four. Uh, it says, he says, this is Paul writing. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, once again, we are raised, we are joined with him. So when we, when he died, we died with him. We have been joined in life union with him. And now he is raised in resurrection. Guess what? We have been raised with him to new life. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And then I'll read 3 and 4 just for giggles. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Man, there's like, ah, a lot there. But look at verse two. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. So it's a mentality. So I have to literally challenge myself daily. I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to think that way. But we trap ourselves in this place of thinking that I have to think that way because it's been normal for me, or it's how I grew up, or it's just how I'm wired. Haven't you thought that maybe you were miswired? Because every human person was born into sin, in just innately born into sin. And then Jesus comes, and his blood says, it is finished immediately immediately. There's no sickness. There's no sin that was not covered by the blood. There wasn't anything that the cross left out. Like I, some of you guys in here know my testimony. Like I used to curse like a sailor. I got all my friends into it. I literally would hold nothing back. I prided myself on how fast I could flip out the F word. I prided myself on it. I loved it. My flesh loved it. But when I literally, like, I don't even remember there being a process. I literally just remember encountering God radically one day. The Lord stepped in and said, you don't need that anymore. And he didn't forget a single word. Like, from that day forward, I can't even think of saying those words. I'm repulsed by it. Like, you get sick to your stomach because you're like, I wasn't made for that. I thought that was like, 
the cool thing. You, see, you hear it in movies, you hear it in music, and now I hear it in movies, and it's just, oh, it's annoying to me. It's annoying. Because we think sometimes, well, I just, I'm being raw, I'm being real. I'm sorry, if you're a Christian, this is, I'm not talking to unbelievers. I understand why unbelievers curse. It's what they know. But for Christians, if we're gonna talk that way, and it's the only way you know how to articulate your thoughts, then you haven't fully given yourself to the reality of Jesus. I never once see Jesus being, you know what, guys? You're not getting it, so I really just need to be raw and real with you guys. So if you would just give yourselves to this beeping kingdom, then man, like that's, nah. He don't do that. Jesus said, let no corrupt speech come out of your mouth. This is for us as believers. It is finished. He didn't forget one thing. Nothing, nothing was left out of the equation. And there's a reason why he came because he wouldn't have come if he didn't think that his sacrifice would finish it. God's not a God of being like, okay, we're gonna do one little sacrifice here, bring you caught up right here, then another sacrifice right here and get you more restored over here. No, he's saying, you have been restored. Believe that it is finished. Believe that it is done. Because the longer you think, I'm never gonna get out of this, Whoever got out of something that said I was never going to get out of it? Like that, that, it doesn't happen. There's a story once, and I wasn't even planning on sharing this story, but there was a story I heard of this guy. He was working in, um, he was working in like a reefer trailer or whatnot. It was a container and they were working all day and whatnot. And he was caught up in what he was doing. I think he had earbuds in or something. And guys didn't know that he was still in the reefer container working and so they shut the door and they locked it and they all went home well he didn't have his phone on him he was using like an mp3 or whatever to listen to music so he realizes that he's locked in this container this reefer container with no way out starts freaking out and eventually the guy dies and when people came and they found out everything that had happened they looked and they were like, what was the reefer temperature set to? And they said it was set to 61. This guy had literally thought himself to death. He literally froze to death because he thought he was going to die in a reefer truck. So the way we think is so important. What we think on is so important. So now when we walk onto a situation and we see something happening, I would, I would be inclined to ask yourself this, Father, what it, is what I'm looking at, is it you? Because if it's not you, it's been covered, it's been finished, so it shouldn't be there. And we need to be bold enough to think that way. We need to be bold enough to look at our own lives and say, Lord, cut me deep. Reveal things that are unclean, impure, not of you. And if there's anything in me that is not of you, your blood covered it. And I thank you that you help me remove that. Help me clean house. Help me clean house. Because we also lock ourselves away from this place because we think that we're not good enough. We think that we could never achieve what Jesus achieved because he's Jesus. Don't get me wrong, he's Jesus. He's the king. 
He is the King of glory, seated in majesty at the right hand of the Father. No one, no one can do what He did through giving His life. But once again, Jesus lived the way He lived so that He could look at us and say, go do the same. John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, great things have I done and greater things will you see. He said, you will do what I have done and greater things than these shall you see because I am going to the Father. So Jesus is setting the groundwork and saying, what I have done, go and do the same. And if you're here this morning and you think it's impossible to live a life from this day forward, sin-free, I'm here to say something bold. And it's that you can live sin-free from this day forward. That's not a prideful thing. It's finished. The blood covered it. My Bible tells me that I can live free from it. And so if I am running after a king that I couldn't live free from it, what's the point of serving Jesus? He has nothing to offer me. Because sin keeps you in bondage. Sin is separation. It's that veil that was put up between the Father and His people. And so if you're going to tell me that sin is just who we are, we're going to be doing it the rest of our life, let me tell you this. The cross did not take away your ability to sin. That's where we need to get it. You still have the capacity to sin. It's not saying, oh man, I can do whatever I want because Jesus came and I can't sin. That's not what he did. The cross turned your when I sin into an if I sin. You now have a choice. Because before that, we were sin nature. We didn't have salvation. We didn't have the blood-bought Jesus. Like, we didn't have him. And so it was in our sin nature to go and walk well, as, we, as we saw was good. It was good for us. But then Jesus comes and he says, he tells two people in the scriptures, I saw this. He tells two people, go and sin no more. That's bold. Jesus tells them, go and sin no more. Let's, go, let's take a look at that. John chapter eight, verse 11. I want us to just put our eyes on it. John chapter 8, verse 11. <clears throat> this is the woman caught in the act of adultery. She's dragged out in the middle of the act. So she's drawn out into the center of the crowd by the Pharisees. And they say she was caught sleeping with a dude. And they're all picking up stones. They're going to stone her. And Jesus gets down and he starts writing in the dirt. Scripture doesn't tell us what he was writing, but he starts writing in the dirt. And then he looks up at the Pharisees and he says, the first one of you that is without sin, throw the first stone. And then it said from oldest, no, from youngest to oldest, I think, they dropped the stones and they left. And then Jesus asks her this question. In John chapter 8, verse 10, the latter half of verse 10, he says, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Verse 11, looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. And Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. 
go and from now on be free from a life of sin or go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. The next one is in John chapter 5, verse 14. John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is a man who was lame and he was healed. And it says in verse 14, I love this. It, it, it brings out the excitement that Jesus had. A short time later, Jesus found the man at the temple and he said to him, look at you now, you're healed. Walk away from your sins so that nothing worse will happen to you. Two people, he says, go and sin no more. Walk away from your sin. Because this is why he came. This is what living in union with Jesus accomplishes. Union with Jesus makes sin impossible. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, it says, You know that he appeared, Jesus appeared, in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So he's saying here in Colossians chapter 2, As you receive Jesus Christ, so walk in him. Walk in union with Jesus. But first John tells us, in him there is no sin. So I'm walking in the one who is, there is no sin in him. And I can't bring sin into that relationship. And I know I'm probably being very bold in saying these things, but I, I, I don't care because I want this. Is that I can live, as long as I'm walking in Jesus, sin is not an option for me. Do you want that? Because if you want to leave this morning thinking that sin is just your nature and you're going to do it every day, then I really want to just send you my notes. <laughs> but I want us to be challenged knowing that it is attainable, not in your own strength. It's when you try to run at this thing and say, man, I'm going to live a life free of sin. I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to show you that I can do it. That's not it. But instead, looking at it and saying, no, Jesus paid a price. And Father, as I live in union with you, I thank you that the taste, the smell, the desire for sin is completely eradicated from my life because I reckon myself dead to sin and alive unto you. We're dead to sin because we're alive to him. We're not dead to sin first, and then we're alive unto Jesus. It's we're alive to Jesus, and that's why we are now dead to sin. I'll just share one more thing. That walking free from sin is not eternal life. So many times we try to associate, well, man, if I'll just get free from sin, then everything will be better. I mean, that's true. <laughs> Everything will be better. You weren't made for sin. But it's walking free from sin is not eternal life. Knowing Jesus is eternal life. 
John chapter 17, verse 3. And I know I'm a little more preachy this morning. I know it's not like funny stories and, you know, life experience and all that kind of stuff. I was just really feeling my heart in preparation for this, that the Lord was like, just go straight word and just sit there, all right? So like, I love you guys. And there are funny stories, but I just wasn't feeling let to go there this morning. In John chapter 17, verse 3, in the Passion Translation, I love how it says it. Eternal life, this is Jesus speaking. He says eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the one whom you have sent. Eternal life is not when I die. Eternal life is now. Eternal life is now. If I think for one moment that eternal life happens then and I'll finally be free from sin whenever I enter the pearly gates and I walk on the streets of gold, then death has become my savior and Jesus is not. If I'm waiting till I get to heaven to truly be healed, then death has become my healer and Jesus is not. And I'm sorry, but death has nothing to offer me because I'm already dead. Death has nothing to offer us because we're already dead. Reckon yourself dead to sin, alive to Jesus. I wake up every day and now I live from the reality of who I am as a son, which means I'm not, my life is not dictated by how things around me are going, but instead I'm called to be a peacemaker, which means I step into the realm of chaos and I bring my king. Because I don't know about you guys, but watching what happened in the Jesus, in the, in, in the Jesus revolution, watching what happened at the send, watching what happens at Upper Room or all these amazing places where God is literally coming and manifesting himself in powerful ways. I don't see people in there thinking, well, I'm just another person that's gonna go and sin. I see people that see a Jesus and they say, I have to become what he paid for. And what I see with the disciples here is when they're walking with Jesus, they mess up. They're not sons yet. The blood hasn't been spilt yet. Peter's messing up. He's led by Holy Spirit one moment, and now he's voicing Satan the next. But now the blood has been spilt, and the disciples are unrecognizable. You can't even tell who Peter is now. And I don't, at one point, hear Peter talk afterwards and say, man, I'm so unworthy. I denied him three times. Like, I messed up, you know? Like, who, who am I? Like, he wasn't led in guilt and shame, but instead, he preached the first gospel message after the Holy Spirit came upon them and 3,000 people came into the kingdom. That's a man that believes that he can live as Jesus lives because he's saying, Not un- be, be, be it done according to your word, be it done unto me. So if we believe this, let's run after this thing. I'm done. Um, Let's, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Let's go ahead and stand, stretch, loosen up a little bit. Um, 
Yeah, I just want us. I just want to do two things, and then we'll 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 call it good. And it's um. Firstly, if you don't know Jesus and you have not submitted and yielded yourself to Him, I want to challenge you to do that this morning. I lived for 16 years running from the Lord, doing things that I'm not proud of, and I'm not proud of it because now I see it for what it really is. At the time, I was prideful in my ability. I thought it was cool. I thought it was what I was made to do. I thought it was how I could win friends and influence people, but it's not how it works. You can win friends the wrong kind. You can influence people the wrong kind. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus like this, like the scripture has taught us, then I want to challenge you this morning. We're going to pray and we're going to set our faith that you would fully yield yourself to him and give yourself to him. Nothing being held back. Nothing being held back. Which is that prayer of saying, Father, be it done to me as it was in Jesus. And then secondly, if you're here and you've struggled thinking that you can never live free from sin, then the Lord wants you completely set free from that mentality. He wants you set free from thinking that it's okay to sin. It's not okay to sin. And the thing is, I'm not saying that to condemn us. I mean, I'm right there with you guys. I can sin just as much as, as, as any of you in this room. But going back to what Dad had talked about with the revivals that we're seeing take place in the world today, the, what, what is leading the charge to these encounters that these people are having with the Lord? Repentance. True repentance. Coming unto the Lord and saying, I've messed up, I need a savior. Come, Jesus, fill me with your presence. Fill me with your glory. I was made for you and not the world. I was made to bring you to the world. And so if you're here this morning and you don't think that living free from sin is possible and you don't know how you can, but you want it, then we're going to pray for that as well. But first, I want us to just pray. And uh, yeah, just go ahead and uh, close your eyes, bow your heads. And yeah, if that's you this morning and you're saying to yourself, I have heard of Jesus and I want him, but I didn't know this was possible. And so either you want to give your life to him for the first time or, you're just re or you just want to recommit and just tell the Lord, hey, I know I've been struggling, but I'm getting my life right right now. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Just let the Lord know. It's not for me to see, it's for the Lord to see. And just give him everything. Come on, come on, come on. All right, well, now we're going to pray. We're going to pray for this, and then we'll pray for this next thing next. Um, as we pray, I just want you to know this, that you're not putting faith in a prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. It is Jesus who saves. And so it's giving yourself to him, yielding yourself to him, telling him that he is your everything because you're his everything. So everyone just repeat after me and let's just say this in faith, believing what we're speaking. Just say, King Jesus. No, I'll say it with conviction in your heart. Say, King Jesus, I love you. I was made for you. I was made for loving you. And I was made 
to let you love me. So I submit myself to you. I give myself to you. And I tell you, Lord, that from this day forward, I choose to live in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then secondly, if you're here and you did not think it was possible to live life free from sin, or you thought that you were just always going to live struggling with sin, but you want to be free this morning, go ahead and just slip up your hand. Once again, nobody looking around. Nobody looking around. If you're here and you're saying to yourself, I didn't think I could ever be free, but I want to be free. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Well, now this time, I just want you to receive. I'm, I'm just going to pray over you and just allow the Lord to just touch you right now. Father, we just, you see these people. You see these hands, Father. And I just thank you, Lord, that you are more than enough. You are more than enough. And I thank you that a lifestyle of sin is not our inheritance. Jesus is our inheritance. And I thank you, Lord, that the blood finished everything. The blood covered everything. It completely eradicated and omitted everything that is not from you. So I just thank you, Father, this morning for these people. Lord, that we would be a bride that is without spot or wrinkle, that we are a pure bride, that we don't give ourselves to, to the lusts and the desires of the flesh, but we give ourselves to Jesus. We give ourselves to what you long for, to what matters to you. And we just thank you, Father. We love you and we submit ourselves to you daily. And we never think ourselves more highly than we should. Neither do we think of ourselves lower than we should. But we think of ourselves the thoughts that you think towards us. And it's that you are free, you are clean, you have been redeemed, and you have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. And can everybody say amen? Amen. Come on, let's just give them praise real quick this morning. Just give them praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome.